I think it's just important to keep your cool and be kind and thoughtful and give people the benefit of the doubt, but then also just protect your business boundaries and know that there's some things you just can't say yes to. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Brands at Book Show, where we help creative service-based businesses build their brands and find more clients. I'm your host, Davey Jones. Have you ever dealt with a difficult client situation? Or maybe you're currently in a tough spot right now and you're wondering if you'll ever get through it. Difficult client situations are bound to happen in business, and I've never met a business owner who hasn't experienced one. In today's episode, Vanessa and I are chatting through how to deal with such situations and what you can do to prevent them in the future. This episode is based on a two-part blog series titled How to Deal with Difficult Clients, which you can find on our blog. Be sure to check out the show notes at davianchrista.com for the resources we mentioned during the episode, and I'd like to hear from you about what kind of content you'd like to see on the Branson Book Podcast as we move forward. I'd also like to know what episodes have you enjoyed most so far and why. To leave your feedback, head on over to the Davy and Krista Facebook page and send us a message. Now, on to the episode. Vanessa, welcome back. You're all the way in Birmingham, right? I am. I'm enjoying the South. Sweet tea, biscuits. Trying trying to find a new home? Yeah, house shopping. Really, honestly, just trying to get to know the area and like make a place of Birmingham. And so we're excited. Awesome. Any luck so far? Yeah, you know, so I'm a daughter of an engineer. So I look at every house with what is wrong with this place versus (laughs) like, what do I like about it, which is good and bad. It makes it easy for me to cross things off the list. But I think we'll find something eventually. It just may not be during this visit. Sure, sure. Yeah, no reason to rush it, especially if that's where you guys are going to be for a while. I totally agree. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Good deal. And you guys have been dealing with all kinds of moves, things like that too, huh? Yeah, finally, finally. So we sold our we sold our house and we're making our way down to Lexington, Virginia. That move probably won't happen for the next year, but it's exciting to be working towards that. So yeah, lots of lots of stuff coming up. We're excited to dive into the home building process. Makes us a little nervous for sure. But again, excited just to be there. But today, what we're talking about is dealing with difficult clients. And so this is a this is a tough subject, just as dealing with uh, difficult clients is. And we were talking a little bit about this before the show started, but how women and men might approach this uh, topic a little differently. So I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this. So should we dive in? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest questions to ask is what makes difficult clients difficult? So how do you define difficult and what's been your experience with that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it really comes down to one of two things. I think it the first is that the client just doesn't have realistic expectations. So, and I think that's a, a little bit on the service provider as well, you know, because ultimately I think it's up to us as businesses to set those expectations. But there's some mismatch. I think one reason that a client might be difficult is there's some mis- mismatch in their expectations and the expectations you you set before them. I think the second thing is that clients don't understand their responsibilities. We 
I, I think on on in pretty much any project that I can think of at least, clients have some sort of responsibility. Even, you know, for you in, in Pinterest management, right? Like we our responsibility is to come up with new content, come up with fresh pins for you to use, right? And if we didn't do that, then all of a sudden your job would become a lot more difficult because you'd be dealing with, well, you know, no content. And then maybe you wouldn't be able to get us the results that you've been getting us. But we, do you know what I'm saying? Oh, no, it's really difficult too, because if you're waiting and literally foot tapping for people to deliver you content and they expect results, you want to turn around and say, well, hey, really, I think this is your problem. But honestly, that can be a really difficult <laughs> conversation to have. I think for you as a web designer, you guys have to deal with, I guess, the back and forth of people wanting a tweak and a little a little update here. And I imagine you have to be able to say, hey, like we, we don't have an unlimited amount of edits. Like we have to kind of get this down and I don't know two or three revisions. So I think for you guys, you're trying to take something super visual in their head and like bring it to life. So that could be challenging. Yeah, we, we definitely see this in, in website design as well. Collecting content isn't always an issue, but sometimes is an issue. I think that going into a website design project, and we're actually going to be talking about this uh, shortly as well in a different episode, there's this misperception that the, the website designer is going to come up with all your content, right? And and that's not really how a website design project goes. So we definitely see that in uh, the website design world. But then also, you know, when it comes to website design, anybody who's built a house is probably or maybe has experiences as well. Like once once the builders start, it, it's hard to go back and, and change things, right? Because it, it requires tearing stuff down. Website design, I think, is really similar in that way. Like, you know, once you start building the structure of your website, if you want to make big changes to your website, it often results, you know, tearing things down, not just on maybe that page, but restructuring other pages as well. So, you know, we've had to learn as business owners how to set those expectations, how to communicate effectively with clients so that they understand exactly what they're getting themselves into, where they are in their stage of the the project as well. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Just thinking about like the blueprint that they know where you're headed next so that you don't have to reverse the work. That makes a lot of sense. So tell me like when you get into a difficult situation with a client, I know there's got to be this time, this moment, maybe you and Chris just say, okay, how are we going to deal with this? And what do you tell each other as you have to get ready to go back to the client and prepare them for maybe some bad news? Yeah. So again, I can't emphasize enough how, how difficult these situations can be just emotionally, especially, I mean, a lot of us, and I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast, there's a certain art you know, to, to the service that they're providing. So it can be really difficult when maybe a client isn't happy with the work that you've provided them so far, because we tend to hold that work over our heart, you know? So when people are maybe critiquing that work, it feels like they're critiquing us personally. So it can just be a really emotionally draining situation when you're dealing with difficult clients, but it's important to remember that it's going to be okay, you know, and that Everybody I know, I haven't met, uh, and I've interviewed some really talented people on this show, especially. But nobody I've ever met has said, "Yeah, I've just never, I've just never been in a difficult client situation before." So, I think the first thing to remember is that it's okay. I think it's a part of doing business is going to be dealing with some difficult clients or or dealing with difficult situations. So, starting there. 
and then moving from moving from that place instead of reacting out of a place of fear. You know, and I think when you do that, when you react out of a place of fear or anger, you don't remain above reproach, right? You know, it's important not to do anything out of frustration, but to be patient and kind. That does not mean to be a pushover, but to be patient and kind when dealing with difficult clients, even if that is being stern about, hey, these are the parameters of the project and this is what we have to stick to. Yeah, being stern is really difficult. I mean, I know everyone has different personalities. And so obviously, like this could be a male female thing. But for me, that would be so challenging for me, even just enforcing the contract is difficult, because I want to be accommodating, I want people to have a good experience with me and to um, be able to refer me with that. So I think that that's really tricky. And one of my favorite quotes, even just thinking about how I would respond to a difficult client situation is, at the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or did, but they will remember how you made them feel. And I think even if people are treating you poorly, it's still so important that you, what you say, you know, our moms always said like what you say matters. And I just hold to that. So even if I'm dealing with someone who's difficult, I really have to work hard on my words and avoiding being defensive. So if that's all you can do, I think it's really valuable when you're dealing with a client like that. Absolutely. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your perspective on on maybe how you would deal or some of the frustrations that you have in dealing with difficult clients. One thing that I've learned actually just this past weekend, we started talking about our Enneagram numbers. Uh-huh. And yeah. so I, I've uh, explored the Myers-Briggs before, but this is my first time exploring the Enneagram. One thing that we kind of collectively uh, decided as a group was that I'm an eight, which I guess is the challenger. And I don't mind conference. It's not... I mean, I don't love confrontation. I'm not looking for, you know, opportunities to confront people or anything like that, but it doesn't really bother me, right? Like I don't, I'm okay with being in situations where I have to confront something. So for me, you know, and even the the blog posts that I've written about this subject, I wonder if my bias has come into place, you know? So for instance, I think it's best to have tough conversations in person or over the phone, certainly not via text message. And even, you know, trying to get away from email, if that's been the primary point of communication in your relationship so far, just because obviously something's, there's something missing there, you know, if it is a a communication issue. So trying to get on the phone with somebody, but I know that for some people that might be a really scary thing to do to meet in person or to jump on the phone. So I think I'm pretty much the opposite of an eight and I hate confrontation. (laughs) When I have difficult situations, I'm the type of person, even just in my own personal life, who mulls over and worries. And so for me, this is a real challenge for me. I don't even really know if my Enneagram is right, but I think I'm a three. I have a lot of achiever mentalities, but I'm also, there's another quiz I love. It's called Strength Finders. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really high on relators. So relating well with people is super important to me. I put a lot of currency into that. So I hate this. I will say I've never had a difficult client that's been really rude and unkind to me. Most of my difficulties come from those things you touched on earlier. It's just getting people to deliver in time to be able to keep their timeline um, moving forward. And then also just like people being, I would say more just being careless about paying invoices on time. So luckily I've never... But even in those, as I'm crafting those emails, I'm, I give them the benefit of the doubt. And so that's really important to me, I think, when you're dealing with people is to give them the benefit of the doubt. So I've never been like harassed, thankfully, by a client. And I think I would probably have to have my husband craft that email. <laughs> <laughs> I totally had to go to him a couple times. So this could be a male-female thing. I wonder if eights are more commonly men. 
So yeah, you might be an Enneagram expert to find out. You know, there's a book that we were kind of reading out of to, to figure this stuff out and I and I want to get it. I want to say it was something like, and I'll put it in the show notes. I'll track down the name of the book and then I'll put the actual name in the show notes. But I think off the top of my head, it was something like The Magic of the Enneagram or something like that. It was a pretty thick book, but it was really interesting. I've never paid much attention to the Enneagram, but my interest was peaked this past past week. So I'll have to, you know, I'm going to track down that book. I'm going to do a little bit more reading. Maybe that will be a future episode. I know we've already done one on personalities, but that'd be fun to explore more. Can you tell me what Krista was or what she's leaning towards? You know, I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay. I want to say, I want to say it was a one. All I remember, her and Tyler Harrington, Tyler's been another guest on the show. Tyler, her and Tyler Harrington are the same number. I think it's a one and they, you know, we always joke around like they're the same person, but that's, that's as far as I can remember. Okay. Yeah. Well, one is like the, I don't want to like pinhole her, but is like the perfectionist. And so I kind of have one tendencies as well. So I get that as well. Like you work really hard, you're diligent, you're disciplined. And that does sound a lot like Krista. So she is most productive person I know. So, but anyways, getting back to, you know, kind of this first tip for dealing with difficult situations. And again, the way I've broken up these blog posts and I'll reference those in the show notes as well is difficult situations when you're already in them and then difficult and then preventing difficult situations. So we're kind of talking about difficult situations when you're already in them. And again, going back to that first tip, which is get off an email and then actually try to talk with that person. Obviously, face-to-face isn't always possible and maybe mostly isn't possible for people. But I think if you can get on a video call, that's great. If not, get on a phone call. I think it's a, a lot easier for things to get out of hand when you're just writing, when there's a, a computer screen and, and a lot of space in between you. But when you're actually talking to that person, I think it's a lot easier, one, to keep things civil and then to really understand where people are coming from. Yeah. I mean, I kind of wonder if that could go bad too, because like I mentioned, it depends on the type of person you are. If you're really reactionary, you might write a really strong email, Sure. but I wonder if that same personality could come. Have you ever been harassed by even in your teaching background, you ever had a parent like come at you really strongly? Yeah. I mean, I, in my teaching background that mostly happened, I found over email and actually not to jump you know, one thing, and this is my favorite tip. And so I'll just kind of jump there. One of my favorite questions to ask people is, Hey, how can we resolve this? You know, like, how can we fix the issue? What would make this right? And people are a lot more, not always. Okay. So this, you know, anything can backfire as can this question, but people are generally more balanced in their response than you think they would be. You know, like we've never had anybody say, well, you can make this right by doing the work for free. (laughs) You know, like that's just, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. But that's something that I learned in my teaching days was because I would sometimes deal with parents that were just, you know, I mean, irate about something, something or it generally had to do with grades at the very end of the semester, you know, a kid who had been, you know, maybe failing the entire time and all of a sudden, you know, it's the last day of school and they want enough work to make up so they they can pass class or whatever. And just simply asking, okay, how can we resolve this issue? And I think what it does is it forces people to process what's going on, you know, and in that processing, I think more times than not, they come to realize that maybe they have some responsibility in that situation or more so than maybe they, they're acting like they do. So I think that's a great question to be able to ask, but especially on the phone, you know, so that you can hear people verbally process it. Yeah. I think it gives them a moment to pause and to show that you are like, you care about what they have to say and that they're feeling heard. So you, you sound like you're really good at negotiating people out of like a bad place. So 
But what do you do though, if you're in a situation where they're asking for too much and you just can't deliver and you guys decide to part ways? Like what's the best way that you've handled that in the past? Yeah. So I think standing on a contract, if you have a good contract, I think all of a sudden a lot of this anxiety is just going to melt away. And so I can't emphasize enough investing in a good contract. A lot of our contracts come from uh, Christina Sclera as a contract shop. We've also used Paige Griffith's stuff as well. Pages, both Paige and Christina have been guests on the podcast. I'll link to their respective resources. But having a contract that you've developed for your business based on your experiences, I think really helps because you can simply go back to the contract and say, hey, listen, this is exactly what's outlined in the contract. And you know, it is what it is. This is what you and I have agreed to at the start of this project. And generally, you know, if things don't work out, there is kind of an out clause. There's some way that the project can be canceled or or doesn't have to move forward. Obviously, we want to salvage the relationship as much as possible. So I wouldn't say the I wouldn't say just go to the contract and not be willing to negotiate at all. But you shouldn't have to do a ton of work that you didn't agree to for free. You know, so we have clauses in our contract. We have a place where the scope of the service is outlined and then clauses in our contract that really dictate one, how changes are to be approached, how substantive changes are supposed to be approached. And then if we can't agree on any of that, then a way to part ways. Yeah. So you do have to avoid that scope creep. Have you ever had situations where they wanted to increase the scope and you're like, yeah, that's great. It's going to cost X amount more. Yes. We, we've okay. had that, we've had that situation before. And sometimes people, and sometimes people have gotten upset about that, but it just is what it is. And like, again, going back to something like website design, if you decide you want to add a shop to your website and that previously wasn't part of the scope, well, you know, adding the e-commerce aspect to your website, that's a huge, you know, I think that can be a big time suck from a development standpoint. So you can't just, it's not just adding a page. You know, so, you know, people like if that's you, if you're in that situation, if somebody comes to you and, and, and they're at, you know, I think this is tough for wedding photographers who in person, you're at a wedding and they're like, can you just stay for, for one more hour? You know, if that, if how you deal with that is an outline in your contract, that can be a really tricky situation. So yeah. having something in your contract that people understand in advance, I think really helps navigate those situations. And if you don't have a contract in place, again, I would get one right away. And then I would make sure that think through some of the difficult situations you've been in and then go back to your contract and figure out how those uh, difficult situations could have been resolved uh, using your contract. One of the things I thought of I've seen in these wedding photographer groups is you'll have bride and groom or bride sign the contract, but then you'll have mother-in-law or a mother of the groom who are disappointed that maybe you didn't get enough pictures of their side of the family. And they're the ones coming back and criticizing you. So what have you guys done or what advice would you have for someone in that situation? Yeah. So I I do want to say that I'm not a lawyer. So as far as like specific contract issues go, I can't speak to that. You need to go find a lawyer to answer those questions. But we have, you know, back when we were shooting, especially we had that happen occasionally, you know, where a family member would reach out and be like, Hey, did you get this photo? Or why didn't you get this photo? And what we used to do is we used to copy our bride on the response and say, or reach out to the bride directly and just say, Hey, we're getting these messages from maybe your mom or so-and-so's mom. And this is what's going on. Nine times out of 10, I actually think every single time, and this didn't happen often, but the bride would generally respond and just say, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm going to handle this. And then all of a sudden I never got, you know, we never got an email again. So I think filling in your actual clients on what's going on and explaining to them, you know, why, maybe why you didn't get that shot or just filling them in on the situation helps a lot. 
Yeah. Okay. So we've talked a lot about having those difficult clients, but I think that the more important factor is how do we prevent them? So let's talk a little bit about like your favorite tips for preventing being and um, dealing with those difficult clients. Yeah, for sure. I do want to mention before we go on to preventing them, just that sometimes, you know, if you can spot the, the warning signs early on in the relationship, it might be a more profitable decision just to have that tough conversation about going your separate ways, you know, dropping the client. And I guess this goes back, this is a good segue actually into talking about how to prevent difficult client situations. One thing that you might do, and this comes with experience. So unfortunately, a lot of this comes with actually going through the experience, which, which kind of sucks, but is writing down the tough situations that you've been in or trying to imagine, or, you know, if you haven't experienced any tough situations, asking others who may have experienced tough, uh, tough situations and writing those down and creating a list of warning signs, you know, and looking back and say, okay, when, when could I have identified that this might have been an issue? And some stuff just isn't, you know, foreseeable. But if early on in the process, you're starting to get the sense that this, this project is going to be a headache and maybe you're only a month into a contract or a project that's going to last, you know, nine months to a year, it might just be best to say, Hey, listen, I don't think we're a good fit for each other, you know? And, and if that's the case, if it's really early on, you might even be able to give that person a refund because they actually haven't, you know, taken up any of your time, but it's better to have that conversation early on than, you know, 10 months into a 12 month project, because at least early on that person can make a decision. Okay. You know, you're right. I should go find somebody else for this. Or they might feel like, Oh, wow. You know, I've been doing something. I'm so sorry for the way I've acted, you know, and I'll make sure that, you know, we're on the same page going forward. I have a lot of difficulty because I feel like when I'm, and I don't think it's wrong. I think you're totally right. But when I say we aren't a great fit, I feel like what I'm communicating is I'm too good for you or you aren't good enough for me, especially in the early client process. And so I haven't quite figured out a way to communicate that without sounding like I don't want to give you my time or yeah, like, like communicating, you're really difficult. So I really struggle with this language. So I think it's pretty much standard across the creative industry, but I struggle and it's probably my personality of communicating that. So I probably just need to like copy and paste it and do it and get it over it. Yeah. You know, I mean, you definitely want to, like you said in the beginning of this episode, how you make people feel is important. And it's not just what you say, but it's how you say it. And you don't want to make people feel like you're too good for them or, or something like that. I think the reality of the situation though, is that we're not as business owners, we're not a good fit for anybody who wants our service. And that's simply what we would explain in the email. We've had discovery calls with people who, you know, really want to work with us, but we say, Hey, listen, just based on what you're looking for and your expectations, we're probably not the best fit for you. You know, if you want to jump on a phone call three times a week to discuss your project, we're probably not the best fit for you. You know, yeah. we're going to do, a, and that doesn't mean we don't want to get on the phone with you, but a lot of our communication is going to happen over email because it's going to keep us organized. And we have, you know, other client projects going on as well. So we can't just be jumping on the phone every minute, every day. And I think people respect that on some level, you know, even early on in the project. And we've had that happen where we've, we've told people that and we've decided to part ways. And you know what? It's a lot better than committing to it for another eight months and everybody and be miserable at the end of the project. I so agree. It's like being in a long-term relationship, like a romantic relationship where you know it's not going anywhere. 
<laughs> yeah. And so instead of torturing yourself for, you know, who knows how long, just yeah. uh, ripping the bandaid off early. And you know what? We've never had a situation where we've done that. And then somebody's gone out and, you know, they said nasty things about us or, or, or whatever. You know, generally, if you take care of that early in the process, you know, it's tough for people because, you know, people wanted to get going and they have timelines and things like that. But in the long run, it's better. And certainly better than, again, getting to the end of the project where there's really no going back, you know, and that person might not have the funds then to end that project and go hire somebody else to do it. Right. So I think it's just better to, to have that tough conversation once. Really, I guess a person, this again comes from teaching. Somebody told me it's better to have a, a tough conversation once than to have that same tough conversation a dozen times over the course of 12 months because you, you just didn't you know, rip the bandaid off early, if that makes that sense. True. One of the episodes and helped me figure out it's Abby of Abby Grace Photography. Mm. She used a lot of client templates and she, I love her. I was talking to her at a conference last year at Creative at Heart and about a situation kind of going on. And she said that she actually loves to like jump on people, jump on and consult and help people like craft the email for difficult client situations. So I don't know what episode that is, but it could be really helpful to listen to even just setting those expectations early on for those clients and what to expect in working with you. Yeah, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's, uh, I think the episode released early January, 2019. Called The Gentle No, right? That's right. And she okay. has even uh, a difficult client email template package that she sells. So definitely worth looking into if you feel like, you know, if you're in the same boat as you where you just don't like the whole confrontation thing and you want some tried and true templates to deal with uh, such situations. Who does, except for maybe you, Davey, based on your personality. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I don't like it. You know, it's still, you know, it stresses me out and all of that. I just don't have a problem. Like, I won't put off the conversation. You know, okay. I'd rather just, you know, if, if we're having an issue, I'd rather just jump on the phone, talk about it, deal with it, and then move on. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? So I guess that aspect of things just doesn't stress me out as much. So what are your warning signs? You talked about you have a list and to like to use it as you're kind of going through a maybe discovery call. So what would you say were, would be some good red flags to look out for? Yeah. So what we do both in the website design, it's a little bit different, but when we were wedding photographers, we'd send over a list of, of qualifying questions. We didn't frame them as qualifying questions. It was just, we just framed it as, Hey, could you answer these questions so we can get a, uh, to know a little bit more about you and what you have in mind for your wedding day. But these qualifying questions often allowed us to understand whether this person would be a good fit or, or not. So I, on the wedding photography side, one of those questions was simply what photos are most important to you on your wedding day? Well, somebody who said, oh, we don't want any post photos, you know, the reception photos are the most important for us. We want everything to be candid. Well, we're not the best fit for that person. And, and it was okay just telling uh, people that like, hey, you know, if you hire us, you're going to get the photos that you see on our website. They're a pretty good indication of what kind of photos you're going to get. Many of these are posed. We hope they don't look super posed. And so just explaining that to people, they often respect to that because why spend at least $7,000 on us for a photographer who, you know, isn't going to give you the photos that, that you want. So coming up with some sort of qualifying questions, you know, I think really does help and they can just be framed as questions to get to know people. So we haven't actually talked a lot about this. I'm kind of going off script a bit, but I think one of the most difficult client situations really is getting paid. Sure. And like, 
I mean, I know that the contract is really important and even having fees within those contracts, not a lawyer disclaimer, but (laughs) yeah. Like, do you have any advice for just like gently prodding people to get them to deliver on payment? Or maybe you've been in a situation where they just didn't pay. And so you stopped doing the project. Yeah. So we take the retainer really seriously. So if someone wants to start a project with us, then they're going to have to pay a 25% to 33% retainer somewhere in there, depending on what that project is. So I think that's important. The second thing is when payment is due for us, payment is due in advance, not for in advance, but in advance of any final service being performed. And then we set benchmarks based on when we've completed certain, you know, segments or whatever. So if you're a wedding photographer, that might be the retainer. Then maybe you get paid after the engagement session. And then maybe full payment is due a week in advance of the wedding. For website design, you know, it's the retainer. And then depending on the project, it's, you know, split up maybe after the design phase is done and before we actually build the website and then before we launch your website. So having, having, having set those expectations, you know, we send over a payment schedule. We encourage people to click the little box that says like, you know, auto pay, you know, so that uh, once the date rolls around, their, their, their card is just charged. But then we just don't go on until payment has been made. And it's as simple as, Hey, we finished designing your website. We're getting ready to build it. But in order to do so, we need you to make your next payment. Yeah. Just communicating that kind of stuff. If that stuff can be laid out in the contract, that's even better. I think you're, did you use a, a contract shop contract I as did, well? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. and I only recognize it because we we used one and modified one as well. And there's a place to lay out your payment structure in there. Yeah. Yeah. For you, since you are on a monthly retainer, we've experienced this recently with Till Agency. So Till Agency is a, a Facebook ads agency that I started with two friends of mine, Ryan Akins and Jesse Marchecchio, who will be on the show soon. But we found that it's hard it's harder to get people or to remind people to pay on that monthly, you know, on that monthly basis. And then you hear from them a week later and they're okay, well do it sometime this week. And all of a sudden it's two weeks late. And then their next payment is due two weeks from them because their other payment was, was late. I don't know if you've experienced stuff like that. All the time. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the best ways to deal with it is whoever your, what is it called? Like CRM has an auto pay. Cause that's really helpful. If you, if you assume they're going to be working with you and it's the same amount, like, you know, every month, the auto pay is really helpful because then they don't have to think about it. And I genuinely believe in most, most of the times in those situations, it just gets buried in their email. Maybe administration is like not their top point, And so they just forget. So I've never, I don't think I've ever charged someone a late fee. I had one time a client felt so bad that it was so late that she gave me basically her own late fee, which I thought was really funny. But in general, I send out those emails. And again, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I might say, hey, I might use some language like, hey, this invoice is past due. Let me know if you have any questions. Here's the link again. But I've never had someone just like officially ghost and not pay, thankfully. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and, and likewise. But one thing that we learned as far as like a monthly retainer like that is using the recurring invoice option. So I know we both use Subsado, but I think a lot of CRMs are going to have this option. I know Wave Apps, for those of you who use Wave Accounting, they were just acquired by H&R Block, by the way, for something like 500 million. So big payday for Wave. But anyways, using the recurring invoice feature in Dubsado where when the client sets it up, they're, they're, they're literally agreeing to automatic payments 
you know, on the first of each month or whatever day it is that you set. That's been really helpful. And, you know, as you know, it takes time to follow up with people who haven't made payments. We deal with this sometimes in the palm shop where somebody uses one of our payment plans and their payment fails for whatever reason. You know, that that time tracking people down and getting them to pay and update their information, all that adds up. So really trying to figure out ways to just get people pay on time is a huge time saver as well. It really is. And I think that, like you mentioned, having some of the process automated or even using templates like that you just copy and paste it to say basically in a really gentle way, you still have something outstanding. So hopefully, again, like I really just give people the benefit of the doubt. They miss it. They're busy. Something's going on in their life. And, you know, hopefully you never get to a situation where they owe you thousands of dollars. Yeah. So you well, can just start doing the service. I mean, pause the Facebook ad or whatever until you get paid. So yeah. I know that you have turned clients away before, and I'd be really interested in hearing kind of what are some of the things that you look for as you are feeling out a prospective client relationship and, you know, kind of what clients you've been taking on, what clients you say, no, we're not, we're not really a good fit. Yeah. I have some really funny stories. So because I am like so broadly on SEO and Pinterest and not just like in my own little niche community, I get inquiries from all over. My favorite one was a company who developed, I don't even want to be too specific, but it was a product in the laundry like field niche. (laughs) And they wanted me to help advertise their product on Pinterest. And I don't really work in that industry. Um, It seemed like a neat product. So I wrote them back and basically just said, you know, thank you so much for your inquiry. I always try to say something interesting and say, hey, I love your product. I think that's really efficient or useful, something kind. But I don't actually work with primarily product-based businesses. And I don't believe we'd be a good fit. I work with creative businesses thinking they would understand that, but they wrote me back really offended because they thought that their product was really creative and they <laughs> self a creative business. And so I took that opportunity to realize I should have communicated better and said, Hey, no, um, what I mean is I t- typically work with people in the wedding industry or wedding professionals or whatever. And so they never wrote back after that. But again, I didn't love the way they responded to me, but I felt like it was still important for me to be able to communicate well and so that I never have like a bad situation come back. Within the wedding industry or people in the creative industry like calligraphers or content creators and educators, I typically, in the beginning, the discovery, figuring out if they actually have a blog or are blogging regularly. Because I do feel like there are ways to drive traffic to your website using Pinterest, especially if you want to use a promoted pen and not deal with blogging. But for me the best way for me to drive traffic to your website is through regular content creation. So if I get a feel that that's not really what they want, that they just want people to show up on their website, I usually try to educate them a little bit about why I would want them to have a blog and they kind of see that and then things kind of like, you know, diffuse. So I would say that that's typically my main qualifying question, the way that I'm gently turning people away towards maybe just a different platform. Like Pinterest may not be for them from that perspective. Yeah. And I think regardless of what industry you're in or specific type of job you're in within the creative industry, that you're going to have a list like that. You know, So for you, it's looking at their blog and saying, hey, are they creating content? Because if they're not creating content, I can't make that you know, magic of Pinterest work yeah. for them, you know, yeah. or at least not in the way that maybe I can for somebody who is creating content. For us, we'll occasionally get inquiries and it's like, hey, we want a website that looks exactly like you know, insert influencer here, you know, so whatever, whoever that might be. And so that's, that's, I think on the website design of things, really kind of the biggest red flag, like, all right, we're not going to build you 
we're not going to build you a website that looks exactly like somebody else's, you know, especially if it's, I mean, not especially if it's a client like ours, you know, it, regardless of whose client is, we're just not going to do it. And oftentimes when we respond and just say, Hey, listen, we try to explain to people, Hey, we understand that you might use other websites as influence, or there might be things that you like about different websites that might inform your own, but it's important to us that your website looks unique and, you know, like you. And so we might not be the best fit for you. Sometimes people just won't write back. Other times people will say, Hey, listen, that's really what I meant. You know, of course, I don't want a website that looks exactly like, you know, so and so's website. And then, you know, they end up being great clients, but that's definitely something that we look for during the inquiry process. Do you ever get people who just like aren't your style at all and that you feel like you would struggle with to even make that design come to life because you're not used to like, I don't know, like using really bold, dark, heavy colors? Yeah, yeah. We do occasionally get that. If people are sending us or referencing another, a lot of the same designers work, you know? So if it's like we get three example sites of what they th- they think of and it's from the same designer and that designer, well, one, isn't us and B, it's the same person. We just, we really just, we straight up tell them like, hey, this this person might be a good person for you to reach out to. Like, that's just not our aesthetic. I mean, occasionally we do a lot of Facebook advertising. We do a lot of you know, we focus on SEO. Occasionally we have somebody come into our website who's never really heard of, heard of us before. And so they inquire, you know, I got on the phone with somebody and she's, you know, at the end of the call, she goes, Oh, you know, what's your name again? And it's not that I was, I, I wasn't offended that she hadn't heard of me before. Right. That's not why I was offended. And I, I guess I wasn't offended at all, but I just thought it was funny. Like you're literally calling, you know, you're on the phone with Davy and Krista, you know, you would think that you would remember <laughs> You know, like it's the owner of the company that's talking to you, right? And so things like that where I'm like, you know, you're really not familiar with us or or our work. And that happens sometimes like when I'm on the phone with somebody and I say, hey, have you have you taken a look at the templates on our website? Have you taken a look at our portfolio? And somebody says, no, not really. You know, I make it a point to say, hey, before we move on, you really should take a look at that and make sure that it resonates with you on some level. Do you guys do a good job of kind of qualifying well before you even get to the discovery process because those discovery calls are really time expensive for you. I mean, even just energy for me to be on the phone with people plus making the time to make a call is really difficult in my busy kind of mompreneur life. So you're really good at like keeping people and gating them before you get to that point. I, th- I think so. I think we've improved that effort over the last year. I'd say that if you're just starting a business, not focusing too much on the qualification process, at least the pre-qualification process. Like you definitely want to qualify people, even if you're just starting your business. But what I mean is that when I first started doing discovery calls, pretty much anybody could sign up. There were no questions that they were met with that would let me know anything more about them. And really I was just feeling out that process. I wanted to talk to people. I wanted to hear what people were saying. I wanted to talk to everybody. Of course, that's not sustainable. And like you said, discovery calls take a long time. So we ask, a few questions. We do ask what their budget is for the project, what kind of project exactly they're interested in, what their biggest concern is about the project. And that's a really revealing question. You know, I mean, we get some answers that are like, I really need this website designed by next week. And it's like, (laughs) 
You know, and then I can send a quick email back to that person and say, hey, listen, first of all, we won't be able to start your project in a week, <laughs> let alone finish your project by next week. But that kind of stuff allows me to reach out in advance and just kind of explain myself and say, hey, you said this. This is why this might not be realistic. If you still want to keep your call, let me know. We'll jump on the phone. If not, we're probably not the best fit. And so that definitely saves time. I have an interesting question for you. Sure. I just thought of how would you deal with a bad client experience from somebody who a friend referred them to you. So let's just say your good friend that you work with a lot, you guys are in the same ecosystem, refers their friend to you to work with you, but you have a bad experience. And so you now have this kind of awkward triangle relationship. How would you deal with that? So do you mean like, how would I deal with it in terms of, so the experience is already over and how do I deal with my friend who referred that client? I like what if I referred someone to you and they were a disaster and like midway through the project, you're like, this is not going to work. We're not going to be able to make this work. How would you deal with that situation to kind of kind of protect the person who like you probably still want to receive referrals from me, sure. but you don't want to ruin that relationship? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question because we, we would probably treat that client how we treated all of our other clients, you know, so if we get a, a referral from somebody and that client's not a good fit, you know, at whatever point we feel like during the process that client's not a good fit, we'd probably address it as we would any other client. I think we would at some point, you know, especially if it was you because we know you so well, reach out to you and just say, hey, listen, you know, th things went a, a bit south with this client. It was because we feel like it was because XYZ we really value a referral and, and we're, we're sorry that happened. And then, and, and that would probably be, that probably be the, the end of it. I promise I will not send you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, it happens, you know, like yeah, a lot of times, like, I mean, we've, we've gotten referrals from people and then have turned those people away because a lot of times it's not as personal as that, you know, sometimes like, you know, we get referrals from, Amy and Jordan and, and Caitlin and stuff like that. And sometimes they don't know these people either. You know, there's just people who have reached out to them and asked for, for a recommendation and then they've passed on, you know, our name. That happened just the other day. So somebody reached out to us. They wanted a certain kind of site that just we have no interest in building. And so we just said, hey, we actually don't do this kind of stuff. You might try so-and-so. Okay. So you do try to refer them. And we talked about this, I think it was the previous episode about client communication, but you do try to refer them to someone else. Do you, or do, are there ever some people, okay, so this sounds so negative, but back to that whole engineering comment I made at the very beginning of the episode, how I look for things that are going to go wrong. Do you ever see someone so problematic that you're like, I don't want to refer this person to anybody because I think oh, they're yeah. Okay, okay. We definitely had that happen during the wedding photography, like while we were shooting weddings. We've had, I mean, one, just in general, when you can refer somebody, that's a great way to defer a, a tough situation. When you're saying, no, I'm not a good fit, but here you should try XYZ. A lot of people, I think, really appreciate that and they can understand like, you're trying to connect me with somebody who will better serve me based on my needs. You know, so I think a lot of people will appreciate that. I think when you can refer other people, that's great just as a way to give back to sort of the greater ecosystem. We did that all the time while we were wedding photographers. It's a little different as web designers, but we do, we do occasionally try to refer people when we can. We have sent our list of referrals to people. And then reached out to the people on that list and said, hey, you might get a referral from XYZ. I, <laughs> there are certain things that were alarming to us. Just, you know, beware. So that's, we've occasionally done that. And then for somebody who we just, 
you know, don't want to put in somebody else's or make somebody else's problem. We just don't refer anybody. We just say, Hey, I'm sorry. We're a good fit. Good luck. Let us know if we can be of any help. Yeah. That's funny that you reach out and kind of let them know, but it's true that somebody might really want the business and might be willing to take it on or maybe there's just something about them that might work better with them. So that's really helpful to think about. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One thing that you can also do, you know, kind of as we, as we wrap up here, I think just in general, a lot of it comes down to setting expectations, a lot of any kind of documentation that you can provide people upfront in your marketing materials, even, but even guides as people to set expectations as people get started with their project. I think that kind of stuff really helps realizing that we have some ownership in tough client situations. I think that's one of the hardest things to recognize is that we play a part in that on some level. Even if it's 99% their problem, you know, 1%, reflecting on that 1% that's, that's maybe we're the cause of, and then fixing that going forward. And that might be simply how you outline expectations. One thing that I real, realized by doing discovery calls, I really like getting on the phone with people because I think it's really a lot easier to understand where people are coming from, what they want, answer questions on the phone. However, people forget what you say. It, you know, and, and then you don't have anything to, re- to, to go back to in writing. So for me, one thing that I learned is, you know, after these discovery calls, it's really important that somewhere, whether it be in the contract or an email follow-up that we recap what we talked about on the phone so that we can always fall back on that and say, Hey, remember we did actually, we did actually talk about this. So I think setting expectations is, is one of the big, big things, you know, reviewing your contract with your clients Again, that might not be super realistic from a time uh, standpoint for a lot of people. And you don't want to worry people with, you know, certain clauses, I guess. But one thing that we've started doing is adding boxes that people initial at the bottom. And it's those boxes are just simply summaries of clauses that we want people to pay special attention to. So one of the things that people initial at the bottom of our contract for website design is we have a, it's a, a text box that says something like client understands that progress on project largely depends on client's ability to deliver content as needed, you know, and they just have initial and that's outlined in the contract in a much more legal, legal. way, right? Yeah. But this way we know clients like you've literally, you've read it in the contract, then you've literally had to put your initials next to it. And so it's just a way for us to reinforce an issue that we noticed in the past. Yeah, no, that's important. It sounds like you're looking at the things that come up the most, which probably is just innocent, like clients who are late on delivering what they need to get to you, that they are reminded of that, that that really is going to be an important part of their participation in the project. So that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I don't know if there's anything else that we didn't cover. I'm sure there's a lot. If you have questions, if you're listening and you have additional questions, we'd love to hear them. So you can comment in the show notes or you can comment on the blog post and we'd love to get back to you about your specific, you know, maybe difficult client situation that we haven't covered. Is there anything else, uh, Vanessa? No, I think we've kind of hit on it. I think it's just important to keep your cool and be kind and thoughtful and give people the benefit of the doubt, but then also just protect your business boundaries and know that there's some things you just can't say yes to. That's right. And I think it. I think it's helpful to realize too that if you're in business, you are bound to deal with a difficult client situation that I've never met anybody who's been in business for at least any substantive amount of time that hasn't dealt with a difficult client situation. So remember that, get through it, reflect on it and make adjustments and then move on. Yep. Cool. 
Well, thanks again. I'm excited to chat with you soon about our recent website rebuild. So that episode will actually air before this one. So yeah. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Brands That Book Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review in iTunes. For show notes and other resources, head on over to deviancrista.com.